Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. We have a special treat here uh, this morning. Um, John Markey is uh, here to share with us this morning. He and his wife, uh, Stephanie, uh, have been uh, missionaries in Ukraine since uh, 2007. They have six children, and they're all with us today. So make sure you say hello to all, all eight of them later on. Well, as you can imagine, um, the last several months have been extremely challenging for ministry in Ukraine, but they've also been filled with incredible opportunities to demonstrate the love of Jesus to so many people who are just looking for a glimmer of hope. And so I'm going to ask John to come up. He's going to come up and share with you what's been going on, what they've been involved with, and just some really special um, uh, photos and stories and things. So John, come on up. Guys, please welcome John Markey. And this is for you if you need it. Hi. Uh, I'd like to today uh, just share initially just a little bit about what we've kind of been through the last few months, kind of give you a little bit of a portrait from a really um, personal kind of standpoint. And then um, been reflecting a lot on the book of Exodus and just so many things that um, just kind of jump off the page now to me uh, um, that relate to things we're going through that, and, and that just reflect who God is um, in these situations. Um, yeah, so just an um, introduction again. So uh, uh, like Pastor Aaron said, I'm, uh, we've been missionaries in Ukraine since 2007, but um, I was like an involuntary missionary uh, from when I was six, right? My parents um, moved to Ukraine, started the first Calvary Chapel, and... I just went. I didn't really like, wasn't like, yeah, I'm going to be a missionary. It's just like, cool, moving to Kiev, awesome. Um, so I look like an American and maybe sound like an American and I have an American passport, but like I've, I've never really lived here. I, I, this, this time since February, we've been here since May, might be the longest I've been, I think it's the longest I've been in the States since I was six years old. Um, so... Um, also for our kids, right? the three of them were born in Ukraine, and it's really the only home that they've uh, known. And so just to, even for that, to just give an idea, like it wasn't like, okay, we're, we're going to do some work in Ukraine, and then, oh, that door's closed. It's like what happened in February was our lives were kind of turned upside down as um, were the lives of several million um, people. And so February 24th was, um, yeah, we just never forget that date. Nobody believed that Putin was actually going to do it. Um, we were all just like, it, it, he's threatened that kind of thing before. This isn't going to happen. And so um, when I got a call from my pastor friend in Kharkiv, Ukraine, you may have heard of it's eastern part of the country, Ukraine's second city. He called and said, bombs are dropping on Kharkiv and on Kiev. We're coming to you. Because we're in the west of the country. It's relatively, well, it's, more, it's further from the action. 
um, although missile strikes hit even in the west, further west than us even. Um, and eventually they did, we did get hit once later on in the war in Chernobyl. But um, yeah, it was just, just a shock. Um, it's the most scared I've ever been in my life. And we started getting false reports from all these, you know, group chats in Chernobyl. You know, that, what was that? We heard something and everybody thinks we're getting bombed. Just total panic. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's just, just a uh, very scary time. And um, my brother, George, who was ministering in Kiev, Ukraine, um, he has, so his family, also six kids, like a trend in our family, six kids, but they have six boys, which is, I, I have five girls and just one dude. I have no idea what six boys would be. I don't even, I don't know how you do that. But um, yeah, so he actually, he had sent his kids to us and his wife was with us on the 24th, just as a precautionary measure. He stayed in Kiev. So they're all there with us, and on the 24th, we were just trying to figure out what, what we're supposed to do next. Everybody was trying to figure that out. And, um, uh, and that night, the first air raid siren uh, happened. Actually, you can show that picture, the first picture from the slideshow. This is, I still get these. This is on my phone in a Telegram group. This is, the red is all the regions that, um, where the air, air raid sirens are active. So we'll get these notifications that you need to head to your you know, cellar or whatever. And so this is still a pretty common picture now, several months later. In, in Chernobyl, maybe a couple of times a week now, we'll get um, these air raid things. And I, I like to keep it on my phone, so I, I continue to pray for all my friends that are there and um, just that the Lord would keep them safe. Because there's, you know, there's most of this, shelling and everything is happening in the center in the east of the country. But then, um, or I mean the missile strikes. And then, but randomly places in the west get hit for no particular reason. Um, but anyway, so the first air raid siren in Chernobyl uh, happened that night at midnight. And, and after that, we all decided we should get the kids um, to safety. And so we, there were 15 of us in our nine-passenger van, we all drove six hours to the border with Hungary, south, the south, um, southwestern border of Ukraine. And uh, yeah, so we, um, now the, our family's been out of the country since then. I've, I've since made several trips back in, and we're actually headed back there. Um, we're, gonna, we're flying to Poland on the 27th of September, and then back into Chernobyl. Um, after that. Um, but then, you know, again, just continuing to give sort of a picture from our standpoint. Several of my friends were in real danger. Um, just a couple of stories. There's one uh, worship leader friend who, you know, what a lot of people thought in Kiev was, we'll move to the suburbs, to, you know, just out of the city, would, thinking it would be safer as the city was being bombed. And that ended up being. Um, a tragic decision for many as the, when the Russian tanks came down, they cut off many of these um, villages and uh, many people lost their uh, homes and lives. And, and this one uh, worship leader friend, they were, you know, so they, when they heard 
the tanks and the shelling and all that, they ran from their house into a field and um, watched their house blow up from that field. And thankfully they're in safety now, but just, you know, just crazy. Just things like I'd never thought I'd live through, you know, even knowing people that have experienced that. Another girl who's actually part of our room from our team, and I'll share about later too, she, um, she has nine younger uh, siblings adopted, and her and her mom and siblings went northeast of Kiev, uh, and that, that village ended up being occupied, and they spent almost three weeks in a cellar um, under Rus Russian occupation, occupation, afraid to even walk to the end of the driveway where their well was to get water so they would actually collect water. And there's a lot of stories like this where people would collect water from snow and uh, drink it. You guys know what snow is? Oh, yeah. No. No. So anyway, so yeah, and, and we, we've made several attempts to evacuate them. We were very active in uh, evacuations and then getting aid into the country. And uh, like 10 different attempts and just, just some of them devastating. I was just, at one point I really thought like we're gonna, we're gonna lose this family. I really thought they weren't gonna make it. And then just the Lord really did it, got them out. I mean, we were talking like professional teams that we were trying to get in and they couldn't do it. And everybody, all of them saying with confidence that they do this kind of thing all the time and everything. Um, and none of it worked. And finally, what they did was they all of the mom and this girl and the kids, they walked out to a Russian checkpoint in the village and just asked to leave. And the first time they didn't let him go out, the next day they did. And this Russian soldier from the Far East like blindfolded them, walked him through a minefield, like this just crazy story. And some dude with a van in a village drove them to a safe village and they eventually made it to us in Chernobyl, Ukraine. And um, yeah, so there's, uh, just to give you an idea, those kinds of stories, this is like, it goes on and on and on. These are the types of things that, you know, people have lived through. Um, yeah, and it's, yeah, I think maybe I'll show some of those photos now of just, you might have seen some in the news. These are just ones when, that's my brother-in-law right there. And, and then these are just some of the photos that when our guys have kind of gone back into central parts of Ukraine. I think this is Chernigov, which is north of Kiev. And you just see the devastation. I mean, these are huge apartment buildings that have just been nailed by missiles. Um, houses just totally leveled, right? Um, and this is a highway to Kiev, and uh, really the only evacuation route for so many, but then there were uh, Russian troops all along that too that were um, just picking people off and uh, just civilians. Um, this is southwest, west of Kiev. Um, I think this is Bucha, if I'm not mistaken. You might have heard that in the news, some of the just great atrocities that went on there, and I was, I was actually here a couple weeks before all this went down. And um, yeah, I mean, as, as, as I look at the photos, I'm just like, it, it's just, it's still several months on, it's like, it's hard to 
believe this is the reality of like, you know, life anymore. Um, and, and, and this is stuff that I, we didn't even have to go through. I just, my heart goes out. I think of all the people that, I mean, those are people's homes, you know. And, uh, and it's just, it's never going to go back to the way um, it was. And, uh, yeah. That's, yeah, that might be the last of those. Yeah. Um, the next one, I think, is of the, these are some of the guys, some of our friends that we, I went a couple weeks after, actually, I think it was a week after we got out. I, I went back in and helped with some evacuations. That was when we really thought Putin was taking the whole country and quickly. And so we, we started getting people out as we could. And um, this is in no man's land between uh, Ukraine and Hungary. And yeah, all of these people here, some of them, actually one has gone back to Ukraine since then, but uh, the rest in Europe somewhere. And again, just imagine, like this is, they're pretty much, at this point, this is like all they own, <laughs> you know, this is their, you know, all their possessions that they're thinking, you know, they're never going to see whatever they left behind. Um, okay, and we'll get back to these photos um, later. Uh, yeah, so very, those first few months, very overwhelming, disorienting. Uh, tens of, so over, you think of like over 10 million, 10, 10 to 15 million, I think, just displaced people both internally and externally. Um, and, uh, and yet, like in the midst of all of that, you know, God is working at the same time and doing things that, you know, when, when we look at like the news and we look at everything, you know, we see one picture, but then, you know, God has, he, as trite as it might sound, he has a plan and a thing that he's doing in the midst of it. And early on, I feel like I, I got a word that I wasn't even ready to receive yet myself. <laughs> but um, as we, as we were in Debrecen, Hungary, two hours from the border, we would after that, we would move eight different places um, in Europe before coming to the States in May. Um, yeah, we were just sitting around talking, and Steph and I were looking at options. Should we go to Budapest, which is further from the border? Should we go to Poland? Should we go to the States? And our eldest is overhearing us talking. She's, she just started crying and saying, I don't want to move further from Ukraine than we already are. And, um, and I just said, well, hun, we're, we're called to Ukraine. And right now, Ukraine is in Poland, and Ukraine is in Hungary, and Ukraine is in Germany, and Ukraine is in the States. And, and so wherever Ukraine is, that's, that's where we want to be. And uh, again, it was almost like I, I needed to hear that, wasn't ready to hear that. It was still, it would be months of just the Lord kind of you know, shaping vision for what that was actually going to look like um, for us. And that's a bit of what I want to kind of talk about as I open Exodus. These are just reflections that we've had, and then also I think things that are very common to um, what we all experience and need to know about who our God is. If you would just open Exodus 
chapter 1. Um, not only is Exodus relevant now because we're looking at like this, you know, Pharaoh who's like a tyrant dictator um, oppressing of people. That's something that resonates with me right now in particular. But then um, I think more importantly, what, what we're seeing is it, 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 we're actually, we get introduced to God in ways that we haven't been introduced to him in Genesis. It's a much more intimate picture of who God is. It's much closer. And, and it really shows us who he is in relation to people, and especially in relation to those who are suffering and being oppressed. Um, and so I want to just point out four things. It's not like exhaustive, but just four things that have really that have stood out to me as I've, I've uh, thought through these chapters. And, and just to run through them quickly, it's that, first of all, God is... He's, he's writing a story. So we'll look at God's story. And then secondly, he's a God who responds. And thirdly, he's a God who gets angry. And finally, the God who saves. Just, um, so those are kind of the four, four things and, and four passages that kind of, I think, highlight these things. Okay. So the first is this story in Exodus 1. Um, how many of you are familiar with the story of the, the midwives and, and Pharaoh? Yeah? Pharaoh, I, I'm, I just, I'm not going to read the whole thing because lack of time and all that, and there's food waiting. And so. Um, but, right, so Pharaoh orders the midwives to kill these boys, and they don't listen to Pharaoh. And then God blesses them, right? And he calls them righteous. And uh, so... So don't look at your Bibles for a second. Weird thing to say in church, but don't look at your Bibles. What's, what's Pharaoh's name? We don't know. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the right answer. It just doesn't give his name. Don't look at your Bibles. What are the names of the two midwives? Oh, wow. Yes. You're like the first person ever who's given me the name. Yeah. Shifra and Pua. Those are the two that nobody knows. But those are the two names. Think about that for a second, okay? Did Moses know who Pharaoh, this Pharaoh was? Could have given his name, right? Doesn't give his name. Right? But, but how God wants his story written here. How, who, who's, who's, the, who's the main characters? Who are the main characters in God's story? Shifra and Pua, right? Who are the, who's the main character in, in Egypt and like the Carvo Times, right? It'd be Pharaoh. Yeah, yeah. Pharaoh, thank you. Good. Awesome. I love it. Very interactive. Um, yeah. And, you know, when we just, when you think about like how you relate to <laughs> what goes on in the world, world events through news, and I know that's a big issue here, like who do you trust and all that. But in any case, it's kind of like big political leaders and their agendas and whatever else, right, along those lines. And that's what we really see as significant, isn't it? And yet, and Pharaoh would definitely be that guy. He's the most powerful man 
in the world, probably at this time, right? And yet, for God, like, no, that's not the story that really matters that's going on, right? It's these two midwives, and the story is actually still going to end tragically, that, that portion of the story, right? But it's this, it's this reminder that God has his story. It's almost as if in, in, in chapter 1, God is saying, this Pharaoh, like, may his name be forgotten to, to history, right? But these, these two women who stood up for righteousness and for those who were being slaughtered, right? these are the ones who are going to get um, remembered. And um, it's, it's interesting, as we, in Ukraine right now, there's so many big names and people wanting to get their name mentioned or things that you hear. And, um, you know, we've had all sorts of experiences with that. But um, there are, there's just countless people. I mean, it, for so many, just saving people's lives, providing food and shelter, loving on people, it's just become part of their everyday lives. And, like, you'll, you don't even think about that. Because whenever I mention Ukraine, you think of, like, you know, whatever... Right, politically, or, or or what's really going on with the war, or something like that. But I'm but God is writing a story that isn't. It's not in any of the news, right? Um, and our, like the Calvary in Ternopil is one of those places. We're by far not the only ones. We've since the beginning of the war actually got the numbers from the co-pastor there. Five hundred and sixty-seven refugees have stayed at the church. Um, there's, there's like 20 still living at our church building right now. Um, we've been able to deliver 120 tons of food um, further east. And um, yeah, 30 to 50 people every day will come because we have refugees in the city. Chernobyl's kind of become like a refugee town. And they'll come for some of the, to, to get clothing. Actually, let's show those next pictures here. I think that's them, right? So these are the elders of our church. That guy in the middle is co-pastor Zhenya. And this is kind of where we have our important meetings <laughs> at the table. This is like our wider leadership team. Um, this was a, the last time I was back in uh, Chernobyl, I think in July. And this is a little discussion group we have on Tuesdays. Um, just talking about the Bible together. Half of the people here, I think, are refugees as well. And it's been really cool to see some of the non-believer refugees that have come and just watched the life of the church up close every day and been totally changed by it. This is Easter um, and our little sunrise service that we do. This, um, actually, a couple of guys in the back, you can't see them, but those are they're actually serving in the military, and they're actually in the front lines, guys from our church leaders in our church. This is that humanitarian hub I was talking about where, like, all this clothing, this is our hall, actually, and on Sundays we have to, like, move all this stuff out of the way so we can do the service, but that's where people can come and just get uh, clothing. And I think, ah, this is actually our apartment. And 
some of the families that are or were staying there, some of them have moved on. But um, yeah, they've come from, um, again, crazy stories. The guy in the middle, they walked through like being like a field being like bombed and everything. And uh, these guys come from Zaporizhia, where that power plant is that you might have heard of in the news. These guys are from central Ukraine here, Ilya uh, also. And uh, okay, and we'll get to that later. But just it's it's amazing to watch, you know, amidst all this. Actually, the most going into Ukraine and going back to Chernobyl, I feel like the people there are like the most calm and kind of have just such clarity of purpose that um, I think we would all envy. It's just so so clear what, what, what the important things are. And then just walking in things that God has put right in front of them. And it's just become such a, it's like become a mantra for our family that, um, you know, we, if you've heard of the thing called right, survivor's guilt, right? And, and, and then there, we've dealt with that a lot. And I've dealt with that, feeling like, man, I should just, I should be there, you know? And pressures to, for all, to meet all the different needs that are around. Um, and there, there's, there are many needs, whether it's in Ukraine or in Europe or anywhere else. And there's so much noise. And something that we've, we've just, the last month, been like, okay, we, we really need to pray. And we've been wanting to bring our kids in the, to this as well. It's just, we're praying, God, where is it, where is it that you want us to be part of that story? Where, what are you, what is our place in all this according to you? Right? I think we, um, you know, when I, when I act according to a lot of those pressures, I, I think... For me personally, anyway, there's 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 definitely this thing of like, I gotta prove something, or it's it's, it's it becomes my thing, you know, and like, and and I think a lot of times we view God as like helping us with whatever that is, right? And and we talk a lot about making God part of our lives, and I'm actually kind of thinking maybe that's not exactly how we should put it, <laughs> you know? I think the Bible talks way more about us becoming part of his life, right? And, and so, the, the, and again, here we are with just this common thing. This isn't just for me as a missionary or for anybody as like a pastor. This is, if you're a follower of Jesus, I think this should kind of become our prayer. Like, God, where is it? How is it you want me to be part of this story that you're writing, right? And, um, and that, that's going to be there are so many things that can scare you senseless right now in the world, but that's going to be like the safest, best place for you, wherever that is, and whatever that is. Lord, what do you want me to be be doing? Because if you want me, <laughs> if you want me to do it, then I'm I'm gonna survive it. Everything's gonna be fine. And if He doesn't want me to survive it, then He's gonna call me home. It's it, it really kind of is that simple, right? It's, it's going to be the very safest place for you is to be right in the middle of his story and in the place that he has for you in that, right? Okay, so moving on to the... Um, 
God who responds. And, and yeah, open uh, chapter two. We will read this one. So verses 23 to 25. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. This is a sermon just in and of itself. <laughs> but there are four things it says that God does there at the end. Right, you see that? He heard, remembered, um, saw, and knew. Okay? And so, so God hears their groaning. Does God respond to us? And by that, I mean, like, is he moved by what we experience? I, I don't know if you have this, this kind of thing where, I don't know, I think we can view God kind of stoically, right? Like, he just kind of knows everything. He knows everything. So, you know, nothing's a surprise to him. When we say these things, and I mean, they're true, but there's so much more to the portrait of who God is than that. Jesus is going to reemphasize this when he says, how many of you fathers, when your son asks for, right, bread, he's going to give him a scorpion. You, you, you notice, he says, who, your son asks. Have you been asked by a kid for something? Like, they don't, kids... We have kids in here, don't we? Their kids are awesome. But it's also like, you guys can, no offense, you can be kind of annoying, right? Like, when you're asking, it's just like, like my kids don't care. Like, who I'm talking to, what I'm doing, they don't, it's just, it doesn't matter, right? It's just like, dad, 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 eat, 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 give me, give me, give me, give me, right? And I have to respond respond. Like, it, it, it forces me to respond. Like, that's the picture Jesus gives of God. It's like, God responds. God responds. He hears, not even praying, it's just groaning. They're not even, these aren't Christians, the, the Hebrews. They're just the people. They don't even know Yahweh at this point. They're groaning. And God, see, God is so drawn to, 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 to human brokenness and oppression to injustice, right? That he's, he, he, he hears that and he responds to it. Right? He remembers his covenant with Abraham. It's not Israel remembering, it's God remembering, right? This plan to bless a nation that will bless the world, right? This, this plan to redeem, okay? And then he, he sees and then most importantly, the last one, he knows. And God knew. It's kind of weird the way it's written in English. But that word is, 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 is a very intimate word. It's the word that's used when it says Adam knew his wife, Eve. It's God making himself one with their suffering. God puts himself in their story. This is, gosh, this is a very different portrait of God that I think a lot of people have this God who is so passionately involved and he sees I'm sure I'm not the only one don't you do you, you have things that you suffer and and, and and pain that you think nobody sees right God sees he knows what you have been through he knows what you are going through 
And he makes himself part of that. He wants to make himself a part of the solution to your pain and your suffering, right? Um, so God is going to respond, and it's going to be through Moses. It's going to be, he, that's another, it's a crazy thing about God is that you notice in the Bible, he really refuses to work any other way than through humans. From just from, from chapter one, from the first page of the Bible, right? Human representatives to creation, then Noah and, and uh, Abraham, Moses. It's going to culminate in Jesus, who's going to be the one, right? Who's going to open that door for us to be reconciled back to God. But God is going to respond by sending. Um, Moses, right? And we'll, we'll talk about that in a second as we get to that third point. Um, but back to this whole idea, right, of God responding to our cries, right? It's, gosh, there's so much comfort for me in just even thinking that about what's going on in Ukraine. Because again, so much noise, so many versions of what's going on. But God sees people and he sees their suffering, right? And then you know, something that was really important for, for us was, you know, I want to, like, do something, get back in and, like, feeling the pressure of doing that. But then also understanding that God, God saw us. God sees me and my wife and kids. And it's not just that he wants to use us for something else, but that he, he sees uh, what we're going through. And um, like I was saying, all of the pressures of what to do and how to do it. And in the midst of that, like I said, moving eight times around in Europe, like this incredibly frustrating place of feeling like we can't even get our family settled for a day. <laughs> and there's so much else to do. And, um, and it was um, yeah, such a difficult thing for me to, to walk through. You know, I can't even like plan one day ahead. And, and uh, getting to the point where almost feeling like this tension, right, between taking care of the family, and then all the other stuff that needs to happen. And I think in the, in the hardest moment of this, uh, God was just right there. And, and he, the, there's a pastor that called me that day, a friend of mine. We don't hardly ever talk. He's from uh, Bishkek, Kyrgyzstan, uh, church we planted. This is Central Asia. And uh, he just called me up one day, and he's like, um, yeah, Johnny, this might sound strange, but I just felt like the Lord wanted me to call you and just tell you that he really loves your family. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, just to, like, stop and to be like, okay, God isn't just there saying, what are you doing? you got to do... He, he sees what, what... He sees the, the pain and the frustration, and he, he knows... What, what each of us goes through. And I think that there's also a challenge here for us as the church, as his body, as followers. Right? This, is, we, we, this is the God who we reflect, right? These things that we're talking about. Is, is, this, the, is this the way the, the world sees his, his church? That's right? just eager to to hear and to see the pain, 
to make, to make ourselves part of other people's stories. Not just tell them what's right or wrong, but like making ourselves part of other people's suffering. I mean, I, I know there's people suffering everywhere. I'm in Naples, Florida too, right? And we can just look at that from a distance and just be like, right? Or we can, or we can get in there and, and know that person's story. Yeah. Be, being that, that mediator that God always works through, those people that are ready uh, to bring that hope um, to others and to reveal the character of God to others. Okay, third point, quickly, trying to kind of move. There's so much to meditate on here and so much to explore, but just kind of quickly. God gets angry. I just think this is kind of a fascinating one. Do you know the first place that God gets angry in the Bible? Do you know where that is? Anybody? Yeah. No. That's what I thought, yeah. It's, it's here. It's just, like, I would have thought, like, the flood, I don't know, maybe, maybe Sodom and Gomorrah, maybe something. Yeah. It's Moses. It's the first place where it says God gets angry. How, isn't that interesting? Right? So, so what, are we, what are we talking about then? What, what is the context of that? Well, it's, it's uh, Exodus 4, right? when God is telling Moses to go. <laughs> And tell Pharaoh to let his people go. Five times Moses gives a reason. Right? He says, but something. Five times. And after that, God is just like, angry. And actually, the, the literal term is that, um, how does it go? The, the, uh, the, 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 his nose burned hot. That's, that's the way in Hebrew you would say he got angry. That's kind of cool. I like that. His nose burned. Anyway, so, so God gets angry. What, what's this all about? It's, it's once again, it's very much like that second point where God is so um, passionately involved in his mission to save his people, right? And he's chosen this guy to go and carry that out, right? And he just won't do it. He's just digging his heels in, right? So it's the whole, the whole idea is... That over that, that what God really gets angry about is this hindrance to His mission. I find that so fascinating, and there's plenty of oh, there's just a whole other sermon in and of itself, right? Um, but I think uh, I think once again, and and maybe from a different angle, it, it just shows. That, that passion of God that is important for us. Because I think we're, we're really quick. We, we, we can so easily talk ourselves out of do, doing anything or getting involved in anything by saying things that are true. Like, God is in control, you know, and he's, he's sovereign, and those, it's absolutely true. And God always works out everything for good and all, and all that. But what about God gets angry? <laughs> like, you know, you, I can't look at, you know, things happening in Ukraine or, or anywhere and just be like, well, I'm sure God has a solution for that. Actually, 
yes, she does. It's Moses, and it's me, and it's you. And, and, and he, 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 I'm convinced he wants us to follow in that, right? If, you, if we see things that are, that are not just and that are oppressive and that cause destruction to this good world that God has created and to people that he's placed in it, like it should make us angry. We shouldn't be too quick to move on from anger to like, well, I'm sure it's going to be okay. No, like, like get angry. It's, it's good. It's godly. God gets angry. <laughs> right? Um, and I think we probably could use a little more of that. Right? That's, that's part of, I think, that entering in and knowing the suffering of people. We, you, you just, once you do, you can't just look at that indifferently or neutrally somehow, right? And once again, that's, I think, the call for his church. It's like, we can't be that. It's just, it's not part of the DNA of being a follower of Jesus. Just stand by, like, be neutral and just say, somehow God's got this. That's just not, it's just not an option as being a follower of Jesus. Um, yeah, God gets angry. All right, final point. Okay, I'm going to try to wrap up here. Okay, so, so Exodus is a narrative about salvation. It's like the key word in the book, salvation. That's what Exodus is all about. Now, the, the, the part we know is like the first 12 chapters. That's, that's the salvation story, but the whole book is. Because the, the first 12 chapters, you know, and it's been in movies and everything, right? So you have the plagues, and then you have walking through the Red Sea and everything. But So that's what they're saved out of or from. Right? But then the rest of the book is going to be about what they're saved unto. Right? I think there's, a, there's a, maybe a false idea about Exodus or the law that like they're saved by fulfilling the law. That's not really true. They're saved before they get the law. And then the law is like the covenant terms of how they're going to follow um, Yahweh, right? But this is what they're saved unto. And in, and in Exodus chapter 19, we have, what is it unto? Sorry, I'll start in the middle of three, verse three. Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell, tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Yeah. Um, Kingdom of priests, do you, anywhere else in the Bible, you might have, is it ringing any bells? Later, and Peter writes about that, that we're the church, kingdom of priests, same idea, right? What, what would that even mean? It's kind of two archaic words, right? Kingdom and priests, right? No, it's the priestly role, is a, it's a mediator role, right, between God, from God to man, man to God, right? So this is his representative nation, kingdom, right, to the rest of the world. 
He's saved them, and their whole identity is now that they're, to re they're revealing what kind of God Yahweh is, right? the saving God, the almighty God, right? And then the God who forms this um, community that then the law is going to be all about, right? So, um, and as I just think about that, again, just kind of going back to the situation with Ukraine, like, we really like the saving out of part. We talk about that a lot. Actually, it's interesting. There's a lot of movies that are about that, right? Saved out of some kind of danger, right? There's a lot of salvation themes that are like in Marvel movies and stuff like that. But that's only one part of it. Like, so, so in Ukraine, right? So you have all these people, like I said, millions displaced, but then many have gotten to relative safety inside the country or have relocated to Europe. And there's been a tremendous effort in, in getting these people like housing and jobs and schools for their kids. And that's all, that's great, you know. But then for so many of these people, it's like, um, as, as we've kind of gone around Europe, and we'll kind of show some of those pictures in a sec, just seeing the incredible brokenness of just, like, people lacking even the will to, to, to move forward in, in, in this new normal, right? Um, people needing something more than just, it's, you just start to realize life is about so much more than just shelter, or just food, and just having an education and a job. Um, and it's, to me, it's evidenced in the way these people are in, in Europe. All they can think about is going back home or, or just grieving the terrible things that are still happening at home. And so there's, there's, there's more than just getting them out of that immediate danger. They need hope and they need purpose, right? And this is exactly what God is doing here. Right? This isn't the end of the story. This is very much the beginning, right? Where these people are now going to, well, literally change the world, right? By, by proclaiming who God is and what it is that he wants to accomplish, right? By renewing renewing um, creation, bringing the nations back to himself. Um, and so, yeah, if we could show those last pictures. This is something that's really on our hearts as we think about like ministering to um, Ukrainians that are displaced. This is in Krakow, Poland. Um, and we did an event for, those are mostly Ukrainians back there. And really just wanting to gather people together for times of worship, and prayer, and trying to connect people, and people are extremely isolated, um, and try to connect them to churches, or maybe in some of these places even plant fellowships where there are none, and help just infuse these guys with the purpose that you know God is writing that story. He's doing something in the midst of this, right? That they have purpose in. Um, I think that for, you know, so there's obviously, there's so many Ukrainians, not believers, that are in Europe. And for them, I think just um, introducing them to the gospel 
Um, but then for those that are believers, giving them that purpose of like, man, yes, this is terrible, and we need to stop and, and talk about that and pray and, and grieve together. But at the same time, kind of like in Acts chapter 8, where the people are scattered and the gospel goes everywhere, it's like this is also an opportunity. Like God is doing something through incredibly tragic things that could never have happened any other way, right? And, um, and that's what we, we want to encourage people to be a part of. We're going to be doing a trip, a three-week trip in October um, to Poland, Germany, Denmark, Netherlands, some other countries. And this is kind of the thing that we want to do. We want to um, gather people together. We want to see how we can help them where they are. But we also want to just give them hope, right? And, and, I, and I think that comes in the form of like just understanding that God has a purpose and a plan and a story for, for where you are and why you're where you are. I'm going to go to the next one just to give you a couple of the... There's a little kind of a home group that we were doing in Krakow. And these are all guys from Calvary's in Ukraine. Go to the next one. This was an event we did in Budapest early on. It's probably the first two weeks of the war. And at this point, we were just, we were just getting together and not even talking about anything else but just crying out to the Lord and just seeking his mercy and just not trying to do anything with like solutions but just kind of just crying together and crying out together. Um, is that... Is there more? Yeah. Well, there's, uh, you can ask me later about what the story with the unicorn is. But this was another event we did in Rivna. Uh, this is north of Chernobyl. So this is in Ukraine. And it's a, like a Baptist youth um, event. And just so many people are coming. I mean, just it, there's, it's almost like people just long for... Um, yeah, they're drawn to things that, that might bring hope. People that would never come to church before, right? Coming to find um, answers. And uh, yeah, so that's a little bit of a, of a picture. Of it. As I, you know, there's a couple of things wanting to kind of accomplish this morning. And one is just to kind of give you a picture of what's going on in Ukraine. One, to just show the journey we've been on as we've kind of explored more, like where we are and what, who God is in all of that. But also, um, well, and, and in that, for you guys to pray, continue to pray for Ukraine. We're so thankful for your prayers and support. You have no idea. Like, we'll put out prayer requests, and we literally, like, see the answers, you know, with, with it, those following days and weeks. And we remember, like, man, we just, we just asked people to pray for that. And... Um, but then finally, just, you know, I've never been, I never thought of like being a missionary as like some sort of special category or anything. Like I said, I'm kind of an involuntary missionary initially anyway. Right? This, is, this, is, this is our life as followers of Jesus. Right? These, these challenges of like who God is and what that is reflected in his followers that's, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, this is for you, right? To live in this radical hope, right? 
that seeks his will and his kingdom, right? And, um, and is, is, is ready to ask, not God, come do, do, help me do my thing. It's, it's God, how can I be part of your thing? How can I be part of your story? Yeah, let's pray. Now, Jesus, we, we're privileged to even know, <laughs> to read and understand and to, to, to have that gift of following you. Um, we're so thankful for life, for salvation in Jesus. You have saved us out, saved us from death, saved us from destruction and and we want to continually ask now, Lord, what is it, how does it look for us to be saved unto that kingdom of priests, Lord? What is, it, it's different for each one of us, but, but, but what do you want, Lord? Um, may we just today even just begin to ask and not be afraid to surrender to you to what you would have us be in your story. So we thank you and we just pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys.